Hi, and welcome to Talking With Cancer. I'm Katie, and I'm here to give you an honest, real, and even funny outlook on living with cancer. There is no one way to do cancer, and I've decided to share my story to help and inspire others, as well as raise awareness. At age 43, I was diagnosed with a rare type of thyroid cancer known as hobnail in February 2022, having never had any health issues previously. I was fit and well and took pretty good care of myself. But despite that, I got a diagnosis and I am on a long-term treatment plan. On this podcast, I will be sharing my progress regularly. And I often speak to amazing guests who've been impacted by cancer in some way. I really hope you enjoy listening. And if you do, then please rate, review, follow and recommend the pod. Hello, beautiful. That is the name of the charity that my guest today started after her own cancer diagnosis in 2012. She started the charity the following year in 2013. And... Ultimately, what she is trying to do is bring more awareness and an opportunity for people to experience non-toxic life and how to live from a place of non-toxicity is hugely beneficial for people's health. So she has done amazing things with this charity. Her background was in create the creative space and she sort of tapped into a lot of that skill set and ability and launched the charity from that place with a studio in Holborn. Listen, this is what I feel like. To me, it seems, I'm not saying that Jane, my guest, is extreme, but to totally be able to live a non-toxic life feels, to me, unrealistic. It's not going to work for me. Like, you know, I feel like I need to go and live on a rock, you know, live in the wilderness in order to really practice a non-toxic life. But what I will do are the things that I can do. I have changed my household cleaning products so they're all eco-friendly I've changed my water filter so I use a Berkey water filter which means that there's no plastic and the filters are just last a lifetime basically I use things like organic foods where I can organic skin products where I can and you know I try as much as possible not to over medicate not to kind of put toxicity into me but of course, like I take a cancer treatment that is medical. It is highly toxic. I do get some side effects from that. I have to take other medicines as well. So, you know, there's kind of getting that balance right. And I think that there's a lot of information out there that we aren't told. That I definitely think is true. And I think, you know, the sort of charity that Jane has launched. It's brilliant. It's called Hello Beautiful Foundation. You can go online to hellobeautiful.org and discover more. Like I said, she has this venue in Holborn and she puts on events there, sound healing events or yoga events or workshops. 
And it's absolutely brilliant what they do. It's really, really good. So she's got some great stories herself. There was a little bit of a delay in this recording. There was a little bit of a Wi-Fi issue. So I just want to apologise if that comes across at all in the interview. But I really hope you like it. So I'm going to play that for you now. I mean, we've never actually met, even though... We've been in contact quite a lot because you started this wonderful WhatsApp group. I don't know how many people are on there, but it's a lot of the cancer patients, I suppose, that know about you and use your centre and know about the charity. Yeah, loads of cancer patients on there that come in or have been coming in over the years. Lots are still on there that used to come that don't come anymore. So, yeah, it's like a little community. It's nice. We update everybody about what's going on and people chat to each other. It's really lovely, actually. Lots of, like, Facebook groups and things, but it feels much more personal on the WhatsApp. Yeah, it's very nice because lots of people don't meet other people in their cancer journey. So we open the space really for people to meet, but it's nice to have the WhatsApp group as well just so people can chat and if they have any issues or problems then they can, you know, chat to each other or even contact and speak to them on the side away from the group. So it's just a nice way to connect to other people, especially younger people. I remember on my first day for chemo, I met a girl that was just finishing her chemo and she was about my age. And I thought, oh, this is nice to meet someone my age. And then never again did I meet anyone my age. (laughs) How old were you when you got diagnosed with breast cancer, Jane? Uh, I was 35. And that was back in 2012, wasn't it? 2012, yeah. So brand new. I didn't know anything about it. Obviously, you hear the word, but no one in my family had ever been diagnosed. I didn't really understand what cancer was. Probably six months into my journey, I still didn't know what cancer was. (laughs) So, yeah, it was a whole learning curve. I think lots of people don't know what cancer is. And I think especially breast cancer, there's so many different types of breast cancer. You think there's just one type of breast cancer, but there's, I don't know, probably thousands. And you just, yeah. Funnily enough, because I interviewed Rosamond Dean, and that's exactly what she was saying about breast cancer. You know, Mm, when you get told what your diagnosis is, because there's lots of different types of breast cancer diagnoses, like you say, it must feel like an absolute minefield when it comes to that. What was Mm. going on at the time? I don't actually know the background to your diagnosis and what happened. If you don't mind sharing that, please. Yeah, sure. So um just come back from holiday in India. And I never normally check myself, but I just brushed past my breasts in the shower and felt a lump. I was actually going to the doctors that day for something really not worth going to the doctors. I was thinking of cancelling. I was like, oh, now I have something to go about, really, because I've felt this lump. So I went thinking it was going to be nothing because I knew lots of friends that had, had cysts. So I thought, oh, it's just a cyst, but I'll go. The doctor said it won't be anything. There's no family history. It doesn't feel like anything. But then they did send me, thankfully, because we know so many people now that have been diagnosed that have just said it's nothing and go home. Luckily, this doctor said, go to the hospital. So I went to the hospital. As soon as I went in, they checked and gave me a biopsy. No alarm bells still ringing for me, just thinking this was everyday thing that they just, you know, do biopsies. I remember going for my the results sitting in the waiting room and a girl in front of me had obviously just been diagnosed with cancer and I was like oh how awful that must be I feel really bad for her just thinking again they were going to say it was a cyst so I thought I was really healthy young you know no family history and then I went in and yeah that was really weird because the doctor that did the biopsy was sat on a chair and another oncologist was sat on the computer and I was like okay this doesn't seem right the oncologist was called out of the room so then I had to make small talk with the doctor in the corner whilst I could actually read my results on the computer that was in front of me 
so I already knew I had cancer. Oh, Jane. Before they even told me, yeah, it was really not a great way to be diagnosed. Yeah. Wow, what an absolute shocker. Yeah, but I had a shocking experience from start to finish, I'd say, with my doctors and oncologists and nurses. I never really had a great one. So I think my journey started, how it ended, just like pretty shocking. <laughs> Is that what motivated you then to launch Hello Beautiful because of your personal experience? It was part of it. And also the way I was treated, because obviously I was 35, but instantly all the doctors and nurses were treating me like an old lady, telling me I was going to start drinking Lucasade and drink fizzy drinks and have biscuits every day. And I thought, oh, that's weird. Is this what cancer does to you? Like makes you like Lucasade? No, they were like, oh, because you'll have no energy. You'll just drink Lucasade and eat sugary biscuits. And it's just the whole experience here. Yeah. So first I wanted to raise awareness through art, because we had a design studio through art and education, through art awareness. I got more and more into holistic health myself and could see the benefits it was personally having on me. But it first started because I just saw that, well, I'm a graphic designer, I can start talking about breast cancer more openly and not having such a taboo and stigma. I can educate people about the different types of breast cancer and the beauty and change, the beauty of our scars and not feeling pressured to have a reconstruction. And, you know, flat can be beautiful. And, you know, there's beauty in all this change that's happening. So that was the initial why we set up Hello Beautiful. So I knew in the first week. It sounds like, Jane, you were really ahead of the curve because, you know, this was 10 years ago, over 10 years ago, yeah. and there wasn't so much information, even like about sugar. So something no. new. So what did you know prior to your experience about that space? And ultimately what you promote with Hello Beautiful is non-toxic lifestyle. So mm. prior to diagnosis, is that how you were living your life? I was quite holistic. I think I was quite spiritual. And I think that was a great catalyst to how my journey unfolded. But I'd also grown up living abroad in different countries that were quite ahead of the UK in terms of I grew up in California, so, you know, they're all about healthy eating and lots of different practices. So I'd grown up with all these different cultures around the world and different people. So I think I was quite educated as a kid without realising I was educated. And, yeah, so it was just started from there, really. And just, yeah, because I didn't know anything about cancer and I thought, well, why am I... It's just like a conveyor belt as well. This is what you have to do. This is, you know, you're going to have all this chemo and all this... And I didn't want to do chemo myself, but I didn't know any alternatives back then. And so I decided to do the conventional route. But knowing that other cultures for thousands of years had practiced different ways to heal. But, you know, I went down the chemo route just because I didn't know anything else. How long was your so, yeah, treatment for? How long were you on chemo? The chemo, well, I got really harsh fecty, which I don't think they do anymore. So that was around... It took about eight months and then I had quite a few different surgeries. I had my eggs frozen as well. So obviously chemo can send you into the menopause early. And I yeah, had more surgeries. I had a massive seroma on my arm because um, they took my lymph nodes out and it oncology said, oh, they won't get that big. It won't get infected. I said, well, it's really hurting. What's the biggest it can get? And he said, oh, I've not seen it any go any bigger than a tennis ball. And mine went to the size of like a watermelon. <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> to keep getting it drained oh god everything went wrong I think through my treatment if you had the choice because it sounds like it all was quite fast moving and you had to make those decisions quite quickly I haven't met anyone who's decided not to have conventional treatment with cancer do you think looking back you might have taken that route 
I think if I was re-diagnosed, I wouldn't have conventional treatment. Wow. Definitely not, just because everything I've learned, educate people about different healing stories as well. I've met so many people that heal from all over the world. It's not to say everyone's going to heal because everyone's life is different. You know, I could die on chemo. It's just a journey everyone takes. But I think for me, I almost lost all my sense of fear when I was diagnosed with cancer. I used to be scared of loads of things, even heights. I couldn't walk over a bridge. I remember crawling over a Brooklyn Bridge. I had to, like, I got sweaty palms. It was so scared. And then all these fears just disappeared. And I thought, what is there to be afraid of in life? The thing is, so many, um, I'd say, like, spiritual things happen when I was diagnosed. So many one after the other. It's almost like when a loved one dies, you well, know. Go it... on. Will you share some, Jane? <laughs> I love these stories. Because yeah. all of this is what sort of gives meaning, doesn't it, to yeah, something that's yeah. so, so... Yeah challenging and it just turns your life upside down and then when you yeah. find little pockets of mm. hope and these wonderful stories it's like hang on a minute learn from this so go on and I was so excited about all these stories and then I went to my old workplace and they all looked at me like I was crazy and <laughs> I was telling them I was like, oh dear one of them was all these strangers kept coming up to me in the street just random strangers. And first, I didn't think anything of it, but I realized they're all touching my arm where I got cancer and they were touching it here and stroking it. So then I became aware of these people and the people were so random. They almost felt like they weren't from this weird world. And one guy was like a doctor, German doctor, and they'd all come up with weird stories to talk to me. And he'd say, um, Oh, you, I know you don't say you're a doctor. This was on Oxford Street. And I was like, oh, no, I'm not a doctor. And he started talking. Yes, I know you. I know you. And he reached out. I mean, who touches you anyway in the street? And he reached Never. out and he touched me. And I thought, this is weird. And it happened so many times. And I remember being where near where I live. And this little old lady asked if I knew where number 26 is or something. And I said, I was almost knowing now. I was like, you look like you're a spirit or an angel or something. I said, oh, it's over here. And she said, oh, thank you. It's so kind of you. And she went and touched my arm. And it was the arm where my cancer had spread. And I truly believe that it was like people sent to tell me that I was going to be okay or, you know, giving me a healing. But I think when we're open to things, there's so much in the world that we don't know and so much we're unaware of that's happening out there. And I think my intuition and all my senses just opened up and yeah, I just became aware of what. I think that definitely happens. Did you always have an innate belief that you would be okay? Yes, I always thought I'd be okay, yeah, definitely. But even finding this space itself, because, you know, we were a small charity, no one had heard about us. We need to be somewhere central London, close to different hospitals. What we're going to find, you know, we don't have the money even to set something like this up. We just knew we're guided to do it. And even finding this space, they said, oh, I went to see a spiritualist. Didn't tell her anything about me. And she said, oh, you'll have this space that will have eight hidden arches in it. And the arches represent like a place of healing in a spiritual sense. And you'll find a place like this. So we found this place and we had to do a lot of building work here, but we knocked loads of walls down and everything. We've uncovered eight arches in the place. So all these little stories. <laughs> I love it. I absolutely love it. That's so yeah. brilliant. Wow. And even when we put the deposit down on the place, landlord was horrible. He wanted a year's rent up front. We didn't have the money, but we just pushed forward with it. And somehow the money just came to pay that rent. So I think when things are meant to be, then things happen. <laughs> 
No, I totally agree with you. So I'm just trying to piece together what happened. So it sounds like you had a really, really rough ride in your medical journey with the cancer treatment. And whilst you were going through that, what were you doing in your lifestyle? Like, what was your kind of holistic approach to treatment during that time? Firstly, I was reading loads. So I was reading so many books like Caroline Miss, Anita Mudjani, Dying to Be Me, Bruce Lipton, like all these different people. So I was gaining a lot of knowledge myself. And what I think is funny when oncologists like say, don't do any research, don't read the internet. To me, it's like self-empowering. You know, that's the way of the world. We need to empower ourselves. So I was doing a lot of research and just becoming more confident. And I, well, I thought I'm going to stop eating sugar, which was the wrong thing at the time, because then going through chemo, my body couldn't cope without the sugar. So one day I just went to Fret and got like eight croissants and ate them all in one go. And I realized then that I just had to, you know, just take it easy. And then after treatment was done, I was just really going to detox the body. But I did loads of things alongside chemo to help me and I think I got through it really well compared to a lot of people I think a lot of it just to do with like positive emotional awareness and having great people around me that are very positive and uplifting and not making me feel sorry for myself and I think that was so important that I know lots of people don't have uh, we set up a wingman scheme that we support other people going through cancer because I realized when I was there in the chemo wards there's so many people on their own so we have this wingman scheme where other people might not even be going to hospital with them. It might be they want to go to the cinema or they, you know, just need someone to go to the park with and talk. So Yeah, that's such a nice idea. I didn't know you do that. So you had the, the books for inspiration and you obviously went on this journey, but did you find support from anywhere? Because there weren't the sorts of charities that are around now, like Future Dreams and obviously your charity and Cancer in Common and, you know, social media wasn't what it is now, right? Yeah, there's no social media. <laughs> yeah, so it must have felt like a very lonely space indeed. Yeah, there was no support. I went to Maggie's, which was great a few times. And I went to um, The Haven when they were going. That was great. But yeah, that was the only places that I went to, really. And then just did my own research. There was people like American people that I used to listen to, like Chris Walk from Chris Beat Cancer and all these other uh, people from the States that had been on healing journeys that were really inspiring me. It's funny, I sort of sit... I've recently been quite into Radical Remission and Kelly Turner and I've been watching that and reading that and I have taken on, you know, a lot of those sort of suggestions, things mm. like exercise and diet and supplement. And I do feel great, I have to say. Since watching that and learning more about it, and I'm really interested to hear the stories that you've come across of healing and Radical Remission, I've definitely moved more into that camp of... You know, I was never anti it, but I was somewhere, like I say, in the middle of you can't make yourself believe. How do you how do you really fall into this space where you can embrace the belief that you'll be OK and you can live from that place? But I think because I'm feeling well at the moment, mm. I think it's very dependent on how you're feeling in terms of where you sit in yeah. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Like, if you're feeling well, you could be very gung-ho about it. You can be all guns blazing and going to do all of these things. But if you're on your sickbed, it's very hard to do mm. all those additional, they sort of suggest, 
to really impact your lifestyle. So, yeah. So I think it's sadly a lot to do with society and how we're brought up as well. And we're told this is going to be the best treatment for you. And it's fear that we have. Like, my parents always used to go to the doctor. And you need to go to the doctor. Now I say I'm not going to the doctor. I don't need to go to the doctor because I know how to heal from loads of things myself. So I haven't been to the NHS or any doctors since actually I left. 2013 is the last time I went to a conventional doctor. Like, I just don't go for anything and I don't see the need for any pharmaceutical drugs anymore because I know how to heal my body. I can put everything into my body, all the nutrients, everything given on the earth to heal. You know, all these drugs have so many side effects that you know and you feel terrible from the side effects. But I think we're brought up in a society that, you know, the doctor's best and you believe the guy in the white coat. But I think things are changing and shifting. Because, you know, there's been practices that have been available for thousands and thousands of years by different cultures. And I think there's more education now of what's available. So I do think there's going to be a, a shift where, you know, more people are even doing lots of things alongside of their um, chemo and radiotherapy, which is great. So, you know, you can do both together. More people embrace those practices. And I think, you know, they have such less side effects and they learn a lot on their journey as well, rather than just relying on going to chemo and we have so much we need to learn and heal, you know, from our, I think cancer, one of the main causes is emotional trauma and stress. And when our cells aren't happy, we all have cancer in our bodies um, every day, but you're usually flushes away. And but when we're stressed and that added pressure is on our cells and our cells start to manipulate and, you know, go out of sync. So I think stress and emotions are a massive thing to embrace. And when we're only doing chemo and radiotherapy and not thinking about how we can heal then it's not a great route to take what are some of the stories you've come across then well I always say to everyone well everyone's stories are so different and it's so personal to them and their journey in life I mean I know lots of people that have done the Gerson therapy which is one lady I know had terminal cancer it started off as skin cancer it spread and she was given three months to live and she did it for She's like, well, I have no hope left. So she heard about the Gerson somewhere and decided to do it. Yeah, so that is um, 13 juices a day on the hour, every hour, 13 hours, plant-based organic food, coffee enemas to flush out the toxins in your body, the buildup. And they say it's like coming off drugs. So she said, not that she'd been on like drugs, but she said after a couple of months, she started to actually see pus coming out of the end of her elbows and she felt terrible like she was coming off like some crazy high most people give up at this stage but it's just because your body's detoxing and taking all the toxins out your liver that you feel absolutely dreadful but after that you start to feel good and she did this for two and a half three years she kept ringing up her oncologist and saying you know will you tell other people with cancer about my story and I've heard this so many times as well just said no I've got no time to tell anyone about your story and I think the more stories that are told, lots of people I group speak to this lady as well. We put everyone in touch. The more stories that are out there and told, the more it gives people confidence. I'm not saying don't do, you know, chemo, don't, you know, it's just like learning what's out there, having the resources available to you and making your own decision and choices, or even trying it. Alone. Why don't you think the medical world want to embrace these stories then? I think there's a couple of reasons. One, they're so out of tune with anything other that's going on around them. Lots are so busy working in their own little bubble that 
you know, half the doctors were so unhealthy myself. And I was like, well, how am I getting health tips from someone that's skin's terrible and, you know, overweight and not looking healthy at all? I think also the money involved in obviously pharmaceutical worlds, there can't be another way really because there's so much money there. So, But do you think, is it part of your mission at all to try and make that more collaborative? Definitely, yeah. We're actually doing an app at the moment that we're launching in October that's bringing different doctors and oncologists together. It's called Libra, and that's to really help health disparities. And also lots of people don't want to talk to their doctor about what supplements they're taking or what they're really doing because they feel ashamed or the doctor shoots them down or the doctor doesn't have time. So the doctors aren't getting the full medical picture of these people and what's really going on. You know, they're taking turmeric shots or... You know, they're doing uh, infrared saunas and things, but they're not telling the oncologist. So there's such a disconnect. And the people that are doing better on the treatment and the oncologists don't really know why. So we're working with some oncologists and different nurses and doctors that are more future thinking. And I think there's amazing oncologists out there. We've met a lot just having their space that come in that are really into, you know, the future of oncology and having it a bit more holistic and in it for the right reasons. But in every industry, right, there's good eggs and bad eggs. <laughs> Definitely. And I think it's important to share that information. I'm very open with my team and I'm very lucky that they respect and appreciate how I want to live my life, yeah, yeah. you know, but I know not all oncologists like that. I've been mm. taking these mushroom supplements. There's a company called Hifa Terra, who I'm going to interview the founder, actually. And I haven't talked about it at all on the podcast, but I have mm. to say, I do think... Everyone's like, is it magic mushrooms? I'm like, no, no, it's not magic mushrooms. It's mushroom supplements. I mean, I have been feeling really well. And I, you know, I'm sure there's a lot in that. There Mm. is a lot. It's quite overwhelming, actually, once you do get into the space of sort of non-toxic lifestyle and wellness and how you can enhance your treatment, should we say. Mm. How do you advise people to pick and choose what's right for them? Because you can't do everything. No, definitely not. I think when people come in, we're almost like a resource in a way, like a hub of resource and information. So we can tell someone that comes in all the different stories, all the different practices you can do. For me, like some people, EFT, emotional freedom technique is really great. For me, it didn't help in one bit at all. So for me, that wasn't my thing. So I was like, you need to embrace all the different practices, whatever sticks with you, whatever you love. It's your intuition that says this is what you need. For me, I did a lot of Qigong, which is a bit like Tai Chi. And that healed. I had lymphedema and that helped heal that. And it was just amazing for me. But, you know, and it it changes as well. So we're changing as humans all the time. So what I was doing five years ago isn't probably what I'm doing today. And everything, you know, changes and grows. And I think at the time, like what, I used to take a lot of different mushroom supplements, but now I don't really take it because I think your body tells you when you things are good for you or not. But it's also about lots of people say, oh, well, you know, kale doesn't heal, can't heal cancer. But it's like, no, nothing, not one thing can heal cancer. It's a massive, massive lifestyle changes that even they might not heal cancer, but they might, you know, make you feel really good and lessen your side effects. And yeah, so even learning how to, you know, deal with your mental health issues and just so just embracing some practices are beneficial, definitely. Yeah, I think that's really good advice actually about your intuition. It was something I talked with Anna Parkinson about, who I introduced you to Anna Parkinson. I know she's doing some things, some events for you and talks and stuff. You do like you have to kind of 
go with what feels right for you. And it's really interesting what you say. It's so true. Like for a long period, I was really into meditation and I haven't kind of found that to be my thing in recent months. So I think that's also really good advice. It's like, it's okay to change those things and to do what. Yeah, yeah. So I want to understand with Hello Beautiful, like when did you conceive the idea? Because you already had Hello Love. Did you, you already had like your studio, you're already a designer. And then how did you come up with the idea for the charity and launch it? So Kevin and I, who run the charity together, we run the design studio as well. So we basically sat in the chemo room and straight away we were like, oh, you know, we need to do something being designers. So then we thought, well, why don't we open a space? We design a lot of retail spaces. So we have the resources to be able to design a space and fill it with color and, you know, hope. Uh, lots of plants and really open inviting space because it's like I don't want to go to a place that's white and clinical and makes me feel like I'm in a hospital I want to go to a place that feels like me it feels you know vibrant and I don't have to feel like I have cancer I want to go to that space so I thought well let's create it there must be other people out there that feel the same that want to come to a place and meet other people going through cancer and not feel like they're going to a cancer charity um, so we first did lots of different festivals and different things. They used to put us in the cancer in the charity sector, and we realised no one would ever come over to us because it's like that's so boring. Charities. <laughs> they were like, when we open, let's not say that we're a charity. Let's not like advertise it. We called it Hella Love because at first we were a breast cancer charity, but now we deal with all cancers. So let's call the space Hella Love that's more inviting. We collaborate with different people and then we'll support different charities. The main charity being Hella Beautiful. We'll provide free classes, holistic sessions and different things for cancer patients. We wanted more of a collaboration space. So we also support artists. Wow. So we've got a gift shop here. So if an artist sells their work, half goes back to them to support them and half goes to the pool of charities we support. We also support like refugees. So when refugees come over here, so we've really expanded because we're open to a space. It's just like whoever walks in, we get an idea or start to chat with them. There was lots of refugees that couldn't find work and we realized they were either creative or made crafts. So lots of them make blankets and different uh, artwork and they're able to sell it here and help to sustain themselves as well as supporting the charities. Um, I love how fluid you are. It sounds yeah. like you're just open to, you know, opportunities that come to you. Yeah, that sort of puts part of your kind of spiritual radar, mm, isn't it? Yeah. And then you just kind of grow and develop from there, which mm. is really amazing. Yeah. And in that, you must have learned so much yourself. Oh, yeah, tons. It's been amazing. Like, I also went to see some spiritualists years and years ago, and she told me, she recorded it, and she said I was going to have a charity. And it's like, this was years ago, and I was like, well, way before cancer, and I was like, there's no way I'm going to have a charity. Why would I ever have I'm a graphic designer. You know, I'm not going to change careers. And then after cancer, about a year later, I remembered this, and I searched out the recording, and everything she'd said was so true. And I think that helped me as well, thinking, wow, if these things are like already out there, you know, it must be a journey that I'm meant to be on and meant to do to help others. So definitely. Yeah. All these little nuggets of information. Yeah. What are some of the, I guess, the kind of the workshops or the events that seem to be really popular and that people always get a lot out of? Uh, I think it depends, really. We do like mini festivals throughout the year where we have different people coming to talk. They're always good. 
we just do so many different things the regular sessions are like breath work people are really into breath work now and crystal symbols sound massages qigong i think we do lots of nutrition classes as well learning about plant-based food learning about detoxing and fasting just like things that are on people's minds uh i think as well that yeah they're drawn to we do a non-toxic uh, uh festival every year different skin cares um that's with uh, jenny lee grace bbc presenter she writes book well-being books as well so we work with her every year we have different people talking in the soil association and different organic skincare companies and people just educating people about you know the benefits cbd and different mushrooms and all sorts oh brilliant that's great plant medicine talk we do lucid dreaming i'm really like there's so much that i didn't know about before i opened the space and now it's just like a constant learning which is great well, I was saying to you before, I found out about you through the sound healer who I've been seeing earlier in the year, Slavo, who's wonderful. But you do quite a lot of sound healing and sound massage, don't you, on a Sunday? Again, I see it on the WhatsApp group, all the events that you're running. Yeah, and Slavo is great. He does an amazing gong bath. So he needs to come back when he's back from abroad and bless us again with some of his uh, gongs. <laughs> Yeah. Now I know that there's also people can donate. So how do you raise money? And because I know on your website, you know, you've got that people can go to it to donate. So if you go to hellobeautiful.org forward slash donate, but how do you raise funds generally? Uh, what's the tricky part, I guess, <laughs> because we didn't know anything about a charity, never worked for them. We didn't really know what to do. That's why we opened Hello Love, where we could sell things and help to raise money. We really need to do more fundraising and more donations, but it's tricky because there's only the two of us. Yeah, basically when people, someone buys like a drink or a salad, then that money goes back into the charity. And that's your main source of funding? That's our main funding. We are supported through grants since um, COVID happened. Obviously, we were forced to shut down the space, so we were able to have time then to apply some grants. We are supported by uh, Stella McCartney. Her mom passed away from breast cancer. So she helps with some donations. We work close with the Marley family as well, but Marley's family, they provide different things for us. So yeah, just meeting people on the way really, but yeah, more people to do fundraisers and things would be great. Yeah, so if people listening want to get involved or make suggestions to you, because that's the other thing I think is lovely is that you seem to be really open to introductions and suggestions and ideas and which is wonderful. Yeah. The more people that can work together, because I was really surprised, like, putting a charity, I thought, oh, it's going to be so loving and nice and everyone's going to be, you know, wow, it's crazy world, the charity sector. Sometimes, like, you feel like a shark. <laughs> Getting eaten by a It's like yeah. any other business, yeah. right? <laughs> Sometimes more cutthroat, so that was a real shock. And why did you decide to change it from a breast cancer charity to all cancers? Well, just for people walking into the door, basically, were you know, we couldn't turn people away if they said they had ovarian cancer or something. We couldn't say, oh, you know, this isn't for you. So we just expanded. We also realized that what we practice applies to not only cancers, but other diseases as well, you know, arthritis and all sorts of different things. We do lots of more and more mental health practices now. We work with different mental health charities as well. So I think it's just growing into being more open and not being pigeonholed because, you know, the, the information about non-toxic practice that covers so much stuff to help just anyone. We talk a lot about prevention as well. So prevention of 
cancer and different illnesses is a main thing. When I think of toxicity, I think of things like, um, you know, cleaning products and mm. toiletries mm. and, you know, all the things in those, all those ingredients mm. that you hear about more and more. And what's really interesting is when I got my diagnosis before I started treatment, I noticed in that time that I wasn't only treatment feeling incredibly sensitive mm. to those kind of toxins. I would say to my husband, you can't wear any aftershave around me. Like I can't, it was really, really strong. Mm. And so I was absolutely living that reality that these toxins are, you know, impacting on your health, like directly. What do you see as like the most mm. um, sort of dangerous products that people tend to live with day to day? Uh, it's crazy really because you don't realize the amount of toxins around you so we talk about mind body spirit toxins like detoxing from you know like negative emotional aware you know awareness and doing different mindfulness practices and everything we put on our body our skin is the biggest organ in our body so just think everything seeping into the skin is seeping into us all the toxins and when they dissect breast cancer tumors they find that nearly 80 percent of the tumor is full of everyday chemicals that we're putting on our skin, just, you know, hair wash and body wash and things like this. But it's even the small things I think people don't know, like when they think, oh, I'm going to change to plant-based milks, and lots of the shop milks have added sugar, have emulsifiers, so these are the chemicals that build up, so people think they're being healthy, but it's just the education of Pret. You go to Pret and get a salad, you don't realise that they've covered the salad in sugar because they want to make it last fresh throughout the day. So there's all these hidden things that we're just consuming over time. Water as well, the water that we drink, tap water. I never drank tap water now for like 11 years. Uh, we have a reverse osmosis water system uh, that gets rid of all the nitrates and different fluorides. And even the paint on our wall is non-toxic paint from Devon. So even breathing in the chemicals in the paint and my bedding now is now non-toxic. So it's just a constant education of everything that we're doing. And obviously, since the Industrial Re Revolution, all these toxins have built up in our system. More and more people are getting cancer now and more and more chemicals are out there. So I think it's just, you know, if you can detox from some chemicals and not have them in our system, then we're doing well. But yeah, a lot needs to change in the industry where, in the, you know, industry standards where they're getting rid of different toxins. A lot. I mean, it's quite hard to live a fully non-toxic oh, yeah. non-toxic yeah. life isn't it yeah. i mean even as we're on the main road and all the pollution from the cars is coming in so yeah plants in here to try and soak it all up <laughs> but once you're in there you can't escape it. yeah exactly it's quite hard and you can't oh, yeah. like unless you're going to like live in a cave you can't avoid it so i guess it's kind of just picking and choosing you know, yeah. being sensible, making smart choices, isn't it? And then now there is so much awareness, particularly with ultra processed food. That's a big thing that people are becoming more aware of and talking about. And so, yeah, little by little. Like when I first started to detox different things, I was like, well, I'm not going to have, I, I didn't eat loads of meat, but I was like, oh, I'm not going to have meat this week. If I wanted it, I'd have it. And it was only over time I realized I wasn't eating meat anymore. When you don't put that pressure on yourself, then it's a lot easier. Don't give you time scales. And I think it took probably two, three years to detox or stop using toxins completely. 
but just the way I was feeling, I was feeling so much better. I used to, you know, dip in my energy levels throughout the day. And now my energy is the same all day long, every day. Like my skin cleared up, my skin was better. I feel more energy than I did when I was like in my 20s. So, you know, it's just, you feel the benefits, especially over time. And people always say things like, oh, I did it for three months, but three months, six months isn't really long enough to you know really see the change it is a long dedication but I think for me the way it makes you feel is like the driving force and then you get addicted and you want to do more things to get rid of more toxins (laughs) (laughs) I think that's the thing isn't it if you feel better it's I don't drink alcohol anymore I haven't most of this year and I don't miss it at all I feel good for not having it so why Mm. would I go back to having it or you know getting a good eight nine hours sleep every night I feel well for it so I don't know maybe it's also a little bit of an age thing listen Mm. we have to look after our health more after what we've been through but it's um yeah Mm. when you feel the benefits of living that kind of lifestyle like you say it's sort of addictive and it kind of makes sense that it's going to stick to it i also think covid was a you know people start, since covid i can see the shift in our space of people's attitudes and i think because people now had to look after themselves people think oh we're never going to get cancer so we don't need to work on prevention when something like covid hits and they people start to realize that taking care of ourselves a bit better helps uh, you know, with different illnesses. And I think there's been definitely a shift. So COVID has brought some good change as well to people and becoming more aware of different practices they can do to help themselves. And Definitely. And I think people sort of talk about health differently mm. because of COVID. You know, people are much more open about it, I think, than they used to be. What do you say to people that might argue, you know, it's it's the kind of lifestyle for privileged people? And actually, you know, not everyone can afford to have eco-friendly products and organic foods. Mm. This is what we get asked a lot as well. And we do lots of different workshops. So you can actually grow some basic foods and stuff just from a windowsill in a London flat with no garden. You know, there's cheap options. Aldi, Lidl now sell a lot of organic food. There's more organic food coming in. And I think it's like, choices as well i mean people are going to spend money on something whether it's lots of people go out for a glass of wine and it costs 10 12 pound you know in london so it's like well if you don't spend that 10 12 pound then maybe you can spend it on something a bit more healthy or maybe don't get a netflix account or all these different accounts you're getting or you know don't buy cigarettes and there is different things you can do to change but we are working with a company to do like a um a box you can grow at home as well with different fruits and veg, like an urban farm that just is easy with like sprouting seeds and different things just to boost the immune system. Well, that's a great idea. Yeah, I think it's interesting how we prioritise like what we value and what we think we can spend our money on um, or should spend our money on. And health always seems to be at the bottom of the pile. It's really interesting, isn't it? I've noticed that a lot. And obviously, since my diagnosis, I've been like, actually, I'm not going out in the evening. So I will spend money on going to acupuncture instead, (laughs) whatever it is, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. I have to say, I mean, from the looks of the venue and like the website, I love everything about Hello Beautiful. I think it's 
Yeah, you need to come and visit. I know, Jane, <laughs> I will. I promise you I will. In fact, I, you know, I do go that way, I guess, when I'm going to the Royal Marsden. So I should probably should just time it better, organise myself better. Yeah, quite a lot of people stop off when they've had a hospital appointment, come in and see us and get a healthy salad. Sounds like a plan. I will be doing that then for sure. Thank you so much for chatting to me today. It's been really... It's so nice. Yeah, really lovely to speak to you. You too. That was a lovely chat with Jane. I know she mentioned the Libra app, which I believe has launched now. So you should definitely check that out. And yeah, her charity is Hello Beautiful. She's also on social media under the charity Hello Beautiful. And she herself is Jane Hutchison, although I think that's a private account. Yeah, check it out. I hope you felt that you learned something interesting today from that interview. I certainly did. So thank you very much, Jane, for that chat. Lots of love, everyone. I will speak to you next week when it will be me, solo, catching you up with my news. Bye for now.